Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here. Good morning to all you folks across the street, the video venue, and folks joining us online. I was told just a few minutes ago that we have people join us from all over the world. I want to say a special hello to Kathy in Thailand. So uh, we're glad to, uh, to be connected to you the way we are this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and go to the New Testament book of Hebrews. And when you find a Hebrews, I want you to find chapter 11. We're going to spend our time uh, together this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the fourth and final week of a special series called All In. Normally, I spend this part of the year talking about money, how we handle money and generosity, but I'm not doing that this year. Instead, we've been looking at this special series called All In and talking about what it looks like, what it means to live with an all-in commitment to Christ. And we're going to finalize that this weekend by talking about what it means to have an all-in faith, an all-in faith. The most common word in the original language of the New Testament, which uh, is the Greek language for faith, is the Greek word pistis. And a common definition, you can see it there on the screen, a common definition is a conviction of the truth. Now, that's a good definition, but it's misleading because a lot of people walk away believing that Faith simply means believing something, and the idea is the stronger you believe it, the more faith you have, but that is not at all accurate. That's what I want you to understand. Uh, The word means more than believe, that word pistis, that word faith, it means more than believe. It also means trust or commitment, and those are words that imply an action. You see that clearly when you study the Bible and the way the word faith is used all throughout the Bible. I'm not talking about just the New Testament, but the Bible literally from cover to cover. Faith, real faith, is something that always results in action. That's why in the New Testament book of James, in James 2.17, we read these words. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, everyone say action, action is dead. Faith, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Another way we understand that is faith without works is dead. It's critical that we understand that about faith. Now, I could talk about that a lot longer, but I'm just going to use a a movie clip that gives a great illustration of what real faith looks like. I'm showing my age when I show this clip. It's a great, great movie. You'll probably recognize it. Uh, Let's roll it, and you see a good illustration of what real faith looks like.
that's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and it just reminds us that real faith always results in action. Now, one of the reasons why so many people today say they're Christians but don't live any different from the rest of the world is because their idea of Christianity is based simply and solely on something that you believe, but that belief never translates to how they live or how they act, and that, friends, is a problem. Faith isn't just a belief. Faith isn't just a feeling. Faith is an action. And nowhere is that more clearly communicated than in Hebrews chapter 11, this passage that we've got our Bibles open to this morning. Now, several years ago, I love this passage of Scripture. Several years ago, I preached verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 11. We spent several weeks in this chapter, and I gave a lot of detailed explanation uh, for each of the verses and each of the characters that are listed here. I'm not doing that this morning. I don't have time to do that this morning. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to draw a portion of Hebrews chapter 11 out, and I'm going to use it to show you five things that I guarantee will happen to you in your life at some point if you live with an all-in faith. Five things will, that will happen for sure, and I'm, pro- I'm, I'm certain as we go through those, these things that you're going to say, you're going to think, yeah, that's already happened to me, or maybe that's happening to me right now. Five things I guarantee will happen as a result of living with an all-in faith. So, let's not waste any more time. If you've got your Bibles open there, stand together with me wherever you might be in reverence and respect for God's Word, uh, and I'm going to read... Uh, a passage of Scripture here from, or a portion of Scripture here, rather, from Hebrews 11. Now, everybody look up here for a second. In your bulletin, it says that today's text is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 through 30. Well, when I got here last night to Saturday Night Church, I, it took longer to get through this message than I thought, and so I've scaled it back a bit, so I'm not reading all of those verses. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to read, and then you can follow along, okay? So let's start with verse 6. Look at verse 6. The Hebrew writer says, and without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now, skip down to verses 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Look at verses 17 through 19. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Look down at verse 23 through 30. By faith, Moses, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. All right, there it is. That's it. You can be seated. And we pray God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. I'm going to give you five guarantees. Everyone say guarantees. Guarantees. Five guarantees that are going to come into your life if you embrace the challenge to live by faith, if you have an all-in faith. Write down next to number one, the first one. The first one is this. You will be pleasing to God. That's number one. You live with an all-in faith, you will be pleasing to God. Living by faith pleases God. In other words, Living by faith makes God happy. The very first verse we read there says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, here's the bottom line. When we live by faith, we please God first because we acknowledge his presence and second because we acknowledge his goodness. We acknowledge his presence and we acknowledge his goodness. The Bible says there that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When we seek him, we're acknowledging his presence and we're acknowledging the truth that he is good. Let me speak about faith for just a moment to anybody here or anybody listening to me, wherever you might be this morning, who is not a Christian. You've never had that moment in your life when you've surrendered your heart in faith to Jesus Christ. Faith is where our relationship with God begins. Whenever I share the gospel with somebody, and the word gospel just means the good news that God has made it possible for us to live in a right relationship with him through faith in Christ. Whenever I share the gospel with somebody, I always conclude with an explanation of how they should respond. I talk about the fact that all of us have one thing in common. We're all sinners. That sin separates us from God. But God loves us so much that he didn't want that separation, so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven given. So once we understand that, how do we respond? I make it real, real simple by talking about it from the perspective of the ABCs. I say, A, you need to admit you're a sinner. That's the first thing you have to do. B, you need to believe. Everyone say believe. Believe in Jesus. Now that's faith. Believe is another word for faith. B, you need to believe in Jesus. C, you need to confess that belief in Jesus. And D, you need to demonstrate the reality of your faith by being willing to repent of your sin. That means to turn away from sin and turn to God. And by being willing to obey the command of the Scripture to be baptized into Christ. But I want to go back to that letter B, that belief, which again is just another word for faith. That's where our relationship with God begins. It begins with faith. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A right relationship with God begins by faith, and it is sustained by faith. We connect with God through faith, and we remain connected to God through faith. That's why without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the key. I'm going to confess something to you this morning. I have times in my life, and I would imagine that there are probably some of you here who can relate to what I'm about to say, but I have times in my life where I daydream about having a job that, have, that, that I can do without any personal emotional involvement at all. You know what I'm talking about? You ever feel that way? It, it, especially if you have a job with a lot of responsibility, and you have to 
take care of a lot of people and things like that. I dream about having a job like that, something that I could do, and I could do well mindlessly. I don't think about it. And then when I'm done and I go home, I never think about it again until I have to show up and do it the next day. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I wish I had a job like that sometimes. Every, every Sunday night, I sit back and I think about the week that's to come. And uh, last Sunday night, I was sitting in my den in my house, and I was thinking about the week to come, and I was thinking about, oh, my gosh, it's filled with responsibility. It's filled with challenges. I got a couple of pretty big deals I'm dealing with. And I looked at my calendar, and I saw I don't have a single free night this entire week. I'm not going to have one single free night to myself until I get till next Sunday night. The sun, tonight, woohoo! I get a free night tonight. Now, it wasn't all work. I had some other things like Trisha and I went to a basketball game one night. And said, but you know, every now and then you just like to have a night where you didn't have to think about anything or do anything. And so when I have weeks like that, I think, man, I just wish I had a job that I could do and do well without being emotionally connected to it in any way, shape, or form. Now, I had a job like that once before. It was back in like 1975, so it's a long time ago. I was living in Houston, Texas at the time, and I worked for a place called Superstar Fences. Now, we built, manufactured, and installed fences for people residentially and commercially, but it was a little different. I don't think it was successful, because it's, so it's probably not around today, but instead of doing it the traditional way with a hammer and nails, what we did is we manufactured these fences by, by drilling holes in fence posts and fence boards and then threading them with a bar, a steel bar, and that's what kept them together. I wasn't on the installation side, I was on the manufacturing side. So I would go to work every day, and eight hours a day, I would be in a back room in a warehouse all by myself, nobody else around, standing at a table with a drill press, literally just drilling holes in pieces of wood over and over and over and over again. That was it. Eight hours a day. And I was not emotionally invested in that job in any way, shape, or form. Now, if that were today, it would have been different. I would have been back there and OSHA would come in and I would have to wear safety goggles and I would have to wear uh, earmuffs, you know, to protect my ears. But back then, it was just me, a drill, and an old radio over there blaring out the favorite tunes of the 70s. So I would be drilling these holes in these posts, listening to the Doobie Brothers all day long. I want to hear some funky Dixieland, pretty mama, come and take me by the hand. You know, it was just, that's what it was. And when my shift was up, I was done, and I guarantee I never went home not one single night and thought to myself, oh no, I wonder if that 315th post that I drilled a hole in, I wonder if I got that hole centered enough or centered correctly. Never even crossed my mind. I was not emotionally invested in that at all. It didn't affect my life in any way, shape, or form. It's all about just drawing a paycheck. But you know what? That's the way a lot of people view their Christian life. For whatever reason, they're not emotionally invested in it. It's just, it's, it's all about something that you believe. It's all about following some prescribed rule, rules or some prescribed ritual that you have that you think is associated with being a Christian. Maybe it's going to church every week or whenever it's convenient. It's, it's following the Ten Commandments. It's, it's doing whatever is on your list. But that's not what faith is all about. And that's not the kind of faith that pleases God. It's not, no matter what you do, because God wants a personal connection with you. He wants a personal involvement with you. He wants a connection on an emotional level. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to need Him. He wants you to depend on Him. He wants you to honor Him, and He wants us to be doing that all of our lives, every day of our lives. That's why He's pleased with our faith when we demonstrate it. 
He's pleased with our faith when we come to him and we say, God, I'm trusting you to help me today. Or God, I'm trusting you to restore my broken marriage. Or God, I'm trusting you to to bring physical healing to my body. Or God, I'm trusting you to provide the job that I need. Or God, I'm trusting you to bring somebody special into my life at the right time. Or God, I'm trusting you to whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. When you believe in God, when you have faith in God, and that belief, that faith is demonstrated by you coming to him and seeking him, then that's what pleases him. And that's what we need to understand. But, and I want you to listen to me really close. If Christianity to you, if if having a relationship with God to you is just going through the motions based on something that you believe, then that is not a faith that will ever be pleasing to God. Never. Never. But if you live with an all-in faith, that's demonstrated through action, then you'll be pleasing to God. Right down next to number two. The second thing I guarantee will happen to you if you live by faith is at some point in your life, God's gonna ask you to give up the known for the unknown. Write that down next to number two. God's gonna ask you to give up the known for the unknown. Now we're gonna go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to scroll down to verse eight because what happens now as we start making our way through Hebrews is that the writer starts to give us example after example after example of men and women who demonstrated their faith, who lived by faith and all in faith. And the first one we see is Abraham. Look at verse eight. We read this a moment ago, but we'll just look at it again real quickly. And verse eight says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, note this, even though he did not know where he was going. When you live by faith, then at some point, you're gonna have to give up the known for the unknown. Now, I don't wanna just assume everybody understands Old Testament history here, so let's just do a little Old Testament history lesson real quickly. This verse, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse eight, is related to something that happens all the way back in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse one, God speaks one day to a man named Abram. God later changed his name to Abraham, but he speaks to a man named Abram, and this is what he says. He says in Genesis 12, 1, he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, that's a pretty strong request. He basically shows up one day and says to Abram, I want you to leave the unknown for the... Uh, the, uh, the known for the unknown. I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that you're familiar with, everything that you're comfortable with. I want you to leave it all behind and go to where I'm gonna show you. It's a pretty strong request. But to God's credit, he immediately followed up that request, that command to Abram with a promise because Genesis 12, 2 goes on to say, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so Abram, or Abraham, did exactly what God told him to do. He left his home. He didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know what was going to happen to him along the way. The only thing that he knew was that he was following a plan that God had laid out for him. He gave up the known for the unknown. And this is what God does when you choose to live by faith. At some point in your life, it probably won't be nearly as dramatic as it was in Genesis 12:1 for Abraham. But at some point in your life, if you're going to live by faith, God, on some level, is going to ask you to give up up the known, give up the familiar, give up the comfortable for something that's unknown. He will. Now, uh, every month we have a staff meeting here that I lead with all the people on staff who are either a pastor or what we call a director or what we call a coordinator. 
We had one a week or so ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. We were in a classroom down here sitting at tables in a room that were a square. And so I was sitting and I was looking around the table at all the men and women who fill those roles on our staff, who serve you in those roles on staff. And I was talking about, you know, what makes the difference between success and, and a lack of success in ministry. And I was talking about several things. I was doing some coaching and I talked about calling. One of the things that makes a difference in the level of success we have in ministry is related back to our calling the sense of calling that we have from God to do what we're doing. And as I looked around that table, I'm looking in the faces of men and women, and I want you to listen to me, men and women who I guarantee you never in their life at one time thought they'd be sitting in a room like that doing what they're doing today. Never. Because that's not what they had planned out for their lives. That's not the career path that they chose. That's not the career path that they pursued. That's not the education that they got. That's not the investment of time that they made. But at some point in their life, you know what happened? God stepped into their life and said, hey, I want you to do something for me. I want you to trade the known for the unknown because I got a different, I got a different role for you today and tomorrow. I got a different path for you going forward from here. And to their credit, every one of them said Yes. And so the question for all of us as believers when it comes to living with an all-in faith, living by faith, is not will there be a moment that comes along in our life where God asks us to trade the, the known for the unknown? The question is, when that happens, will we be able to do it? Whatever it looks like, will we be able to do it? Last weekend when Brother Ajay was preaching here, he talked about the rich young ruler. He referenced the story of the rich young ruler. I'm sure most of you are familiar with, this, with that story. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, three of the four Gospels. We read this story about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know, they had a brief conversation, and finally Jesus looked at him and said, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to sell your possessions, give to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. You remember how the story ended? In every one of the accounts, it says that rich young man went away sad because he had great wealth. So what's that tell us? That tells us that when Jesus looked at him and said, here's what you need to do, you need to trade the known for the unknown, he wasn't able to do it. He couldn't pull the trigger. And so that's the question. What are you going to do? If you're going to live by faith, if you're going to, have, if you're going to be honest and, be, and make an all-in faith commitment to Christ, it's not a matter of whether or not that will happen to you. It's a matter of when that does happen to you, are you going to be able to do it? You know, there's a great story about Hernando Cortez, who was a Spanish explorer. He set sail from, from Spain to Mexico in 1519. He had an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. Spain wanted to make inroads into Mexico. Two previous expeditions from Spain had failed. They'd failed to even establish a single settlement. But Cortez was hugely successful in conquering a large part of that country. And most historians believe that the major reason why he had that success is that upon landing, he issued an order to his soldiers to burn every one of those 11 ships. And so all of his soldiers who had traveled from Spain to Mexico with him stood there on the shore and watched every one of those ships burned to nothing. And what did that tell them? That told them there wasn't any plan B. That told them that no matter what they faced, no matter how difficult it was, no matter what the unknown brought, they weren't going home. They were committed for the long haul. I'm going to say it again. The question is not whether or not God will ask us to give up the known for the unknown 
The question is, when he does, will you be able to do it? Because that's a guarantee of living by faith. Right down next to number three. Let me give you a third guarantee. The third guarantee when you live with an all-in faith is you will be challenged to prove it. At some point in your life, you're going to be challenged to prove it. And we're going to stay with the life of Abraham to see this. I want you to go with me down to verses 17 through 19. The Hebrew writer uses this incident from Abraham's life. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. All right, a little bit more Old Testament history. Uh, There was a time in Abraham's life uh, when uh, he was asked by God to do the unthinkable, the unthinkable. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 22, by the way. You might want to write that down in your notes and go back and read it later. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, that just sounds horrible. That sounds unthinkable. Uh, Two things come to my mind right away when I think about this story. First, it's difficult to believe because it seems totally out of character with a loving God. I don't think that needs any explanation. The second thing that comes to my mind is it seems totally contradictory to God's previously stated plan for Abraham. Remember, we just looked at Abraham's life from Genesis chapter 12 when when he was Abram and God said, I I want you to give up the known for the unknown. He said, I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you. Abraham didn't know anything about it. He just followed God. But God gave him a promise that if you do that, I'll bless you. And part of the promise was, he said, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless you and you will be a blessing. Well, if you know anything about Old Testament history, you know that part of Abraham being a blessing was that he was going to be the father of a new nation, that through him many offspring would come, ultimately leading all the way to Jesus. But in order for any of that to happen, he had to have a son. That was absolutely essential. It was critical to the storyline. And he waited, if you know Abraham's life, he waited for years and years and years, 100 years old before he had a son named Isaac. And now, the same God is saying, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, I want you to take him, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Why would God do that? Why would God say such a thing? Why would God say, kill your only son? Now, just in case you don't know how the story ends, Abraham did exactly what God told him to do. He took uh, Isaac to a region called Moriah, and at a specific place that God appointed, he built an altar. He put his son Isaac on the altar. He raised the knife to take the life of his own son to kill him, just like a sacrificial animal. And in that moment, God intervened. God spoke to him. In fact, Genesis 12, 22, we'll put it up on the screen. God spoke to him and said, do not lay a hand on the boy. And do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And God went ahead and provided a sacrifice, a ram. Abraham found a ram that was, thought, was caught in the thicket, and he took the ram, and he offered him as a sacrifice instead. By the way, you know what? The same thing comes to my mind every time I read or I hear uh, this story. I really believe, for what it's worth, I really believe that what Abraham did there in that moment is, represents the single greatest act of faith in the history of the world and certainly in the Bible, the single greatest act of faith. He was willing to take his son, his one and only son, and, uh, and obey God and offer him as a burnt offering 
to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And we saw in Hebrews that Abraham's faith was so, he was so all in with his faith that he was willing to do that, even believing that if he did it, God would raise his son from the dead so that he could continue to fulfill his promise of blessing through Abraham. But let's go back to the question, why would God do something like this? Well, let me tell you that I think this story is in the Bible for a number of different reasons, but let me just reduce it to two main reasons. First of all, I think this story is here in the Bible because it illustrates for us in Genesis chapter 22 what God would later do himself. How many of you know that's true? Because God gave his own son as an offering, as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But secondly, I think it's here because sometimes, and this is the point of uh, the message in this part, God will call on us to do things that we don't understand and that we don't want to do because it demonstrates the reality of our faith. Because when you make a commitment to live by faith, you will be challenged to prove it. There will be things that come in your life that are going to test whether or not your faith is true, whether or not it's real. Now, having said that, I'm sure that all of us, if we thought about it long enough, we could think of moments like that that have already happened in our lives where we, we faced one of, those, one of those moments or one of those times where we, it was a make it or break it to just demonstrate whether or not our faith was really true. Well, the good news is that even though those times are going to come, they don't last forever. Uh, those times of testing our faith will come, but they don't last forever. Here's a great verse from James chapter 1 and verse 12 uh, that reminds us of that. Read this with me. Let me hear your voice. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All right. Let me give you a fourth thing. We're going to move through this quickly. Number four, write down. When you choose to live with an all-in faith, you will be challenged to make sacrifices. Not only will you be challenged to prove it, but you'll be challenged to make sacrifices. We're going to move down to verse 24 in Hebrews 11, and we're going to move from Abraham's life now to another familiar Old Testament character. We're going to talk about Moses for a moment. Verse 24 says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Stop right, stop right there. Excuse me. I hope that you are familiar with the story of Moses because we don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but Moses was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was born uh, in, when, when God's people were slaves in Egypt. But uh, you remember when Moses was born, Pharaoh was nervous that the, Egypt, that the Hebrew population was getting too big, and so he ordered an edict for all the newborn babies to be killed. But Moses' parents saw that he was special, and they hid him as long as they could. Then you remember the story. They made a basket of reeds. They put him in the Nile River, and he ultimately was found by the daughter of Pharaoh, taken into Pharaoh's palace, and raised like he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he was still a Hebrew. He was still a Jew. Now, I'm going to have to summarize this because I don't have time to go into any details, but the bottom line is this. There came a point in Moses' life when he had to make a choice. He had to decide, am I going to... I'm, going to continue to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and enjoy all the pleasure and all the comfort associated with that, or am I going to be true to my heritage? And I'm going, am I going to embrace the bigger plan that God has for me? And to Moses' credit, by faith, by faith, he chose to embrace the plan that God had for him. And that's the message that we see here in this part of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, let me just tell you something. 
that moment comes for all of us at different times. If you live by faith, there's going to be moments like that that come to you in your life. I guarantee it. You're going to face moments when you're going to have to choose between comfort and sacrifice, where you're going to have to choose between comfort and ease or obedience and difficulty. That's going to happen. God always asks us to make sacrifices when we choose to live by faith. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I've learned in almost 50 years of being a Christian. Just like there are seasons in a calendar year, there are seasons in our lives as believers. There are seasons in our spiritual lives. And we could probably list a a number of different ones, but I'm going to reduce it to two. There are seasons for us of sacrifice, and there are seasons of blessing. How many know that's true? There are seasons when when we wait, when we obey, even if, when it's difficult, but ultimately that turns into a season of blessing. We don't, it, it, there's, it's not a constant season of sacrifice. It's not a constant season of blessing. We experience both in our lives. And here's the deal. Whenever we're going through the season of sacrifice uh, or that season of waiting, oftentimes it's a season of waiting. Whenever we're going through that season of difficult obedience, the thing that we have to remember is it's critical that we remain faithful. Because when we remain faithful, the season of blessing will come. That's what we have to remember. When we remain faithful, the season of blessing will come. Now, it's, it's hard sometimes because we can start rationalizing things in our minds. We can think, you know what? I don't have to, my, my life doesn't have to be this difficult. My life doesn't have to be this burdensome. If I would just quit doing this now, then my life would be much easier. If I stopped obeying God in this area of life right now, then my life would be much easier. I wouldn't, if, I wouldn't have to sacrifice the time that I'm sacrificing. I wouldn't have to sacrifice the money that I'm sacrificing. I wouldn't have to sacrifice the energy or whatever it might be. We could say if I weren't investing so much money in God's work, I could be driving a new car. I could be living in a nicer home. If I wasn't investing so much time serving others, I would have more time to pursue my own desires and do the things that are pleasing to me. We could go on and on and on making all different kinds or listing all different kinds of examples, but that's always going to be the wrong way of thinking. It will always be the wrong way to think because when you commit to living by faith, there will be times when you're called to make a sacrifice, and oftentimes that sacrifice will involve, at least on some level, you taking your eyes off the temporary pleasures of the world and focusing your attention on the eternal blessing of heaven, the eternal blessing of heaven. Now, I'm going to push the pause button, and I'm going to tell you something real important here for just a couple of minutes. We're in a situation as a church where we need people to step up with a willingness to make sacrifices. There are sacrifices that all of us need to make, not just me, all of us need to make in order for our church to live out our mission of changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. I'm talking about sacrifices relating to our comfort. I'm talking about sacrifices relating to our time. I'm talking about sacrifices relating to our money. I'm talking about sacrifices related to our service. We're going to change our Sunday morning service schedule beginning January 7th and 8th. Uh, of 2017, and we're going to have three worship services in here on Sunday mornings. We'll continue to have Saturday night, 6 o'clock, three worship services here on Sunday morning. We won't have the video venue any longer because we'll be using it for student ministry. The service times will be 8.45, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. Now, I want you to listen to me close. It's not my first choice. I'm as adverse to change as you are. I might be more adverse to change than you are. But the problem is we've run out of room to really have significant growth in our weekend services. 
It's not unusual. I mean, we, don't, we have a good crowd in 1045 service today, but oftentimes it's much larger. We had a very large crowd at 9 o'clock today. A couple weeks ago, we had like almost 1,200 people at, squeezing in at 9 o'clock and 1,000 more people squeezing in at 1045. And we don't, we've run out of capacity to grow and to reach new people. And I don't know about you, but I want to reach new people for Christ. I want to reach more people for Christ. I, I like their church. I like a lot of things about our church the way it is right now, but I'm willing to make sacrifices in order to reach one more person for Christ. Now, here's the deal, okay? I'm going to talk to you guys specifically, okay? You know what? In that service schedule, the preferred service choice for most people is going to be 10 o'clock. It is, but I need people to commit to coming to church at 1130. Now, let's face it. Some of you didn't get here all that early or all that sooner than 1130 today anyway. I told you that a couple of weeks ago, and I stood outside in the foyer just to make sure that it happened. I got your names down a piece of paper in the back of my pocket. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what I need, and that may be a sacrifice for you because it's not your preferred choice, but that's what I need. I need you to do that. And that, mean, that might mean we come in here at 1130 and we don't have a very full room, but that's okay. I'll shut the balcony. We'll all sit right down here and we'll have the best service we can possibly have, but we'll have room for more. And that's what I need. And I need people who will be willing to make a sacrifice to give generously to support the ministry of this church because we make such an impact locally and globally around the world. And there's more to be done. As much as we do, and we do so much, I told you about that a couple of weeks ago, this, this budget year will give a little over $1.7 million to our local and global mission partners. Really, it's much more than that. I just, we just, some of it we just do randomly, and so we don't track it quite as close. We track it, but I don't, I don't have it in my head all the time as a number like it is on a, on a budget line item. It's different. It's fluid. It's so much more. But as much as we do, there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. I don't, have a, I don't have a single idea, and I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. I don't have any idea about any of you when it comes to giving. I don't know what you give. I don't know if you give or you don't give. I don't know anything about it. I don't, I don't ever want to know, but I do know this. I know how many people come to church, and I know how many people give in terms of giving units, just numbers, nameless numbers, and I know because of that information that there are people who come every week who never give anything. And I need, to get, I need you to make the sacrifice to begin to give consistently and to give faithfully and to make it your goal to give generously. Some of you probably need to give sacrificially. You know what sacrificial giving looks like? Sacrificial giving is giving that changes and affects your lifestyle. That's what sacrificial giving looks like. So anybody who says, I give sacrificially, if it doesn't affect your lifestyle, it doesn't fit the definition of sacrificial giving. And this is just a commitment that we need to make. It's a way that we demonstrate the reality of our faith because sometimes when we live by faith, I guarantee you, God will challenge you. He will challenge you to make sacrifices. And I'm depending on you to do that. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. I would never do that. Right down next to number five, Brian, come because I'm out of time and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on schedule this morning. When you live by faith, here's the fifth thing that I guarantee will happen, and this is a wonderful way to close. When you live by faith with an all-in faith for Christ, you will see the power of God. 
You will see the power of God in your life. Look down at verses 27 through 30. Uh, we, we continue talking about Moses at the beginning of this. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea on, as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Obviously, that's a reference to Moses. When we get to verse 30, it changes to Joshua. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now, the parting of the Red Sea and the falling of the, the walls of the city of Jericho, those are, some, those are two of the most well-known Old Testament stories that you can find, and both of them have this in common. They demonstrate the power of God. When you live by faith, you're going to see the power of God in your life. When you live with an all-in faith, then you're going to have moments in your life where there seems to be no solution, when it seems like there's great insurmountable obstacles between you and where you need to go, and all of a sudden, God's going to show up with a solution. All of a sudden, He's going to make a way. All of a sudden, when it, sound, when it seems like you've got no strength to go on any longer, He's going to show up and He's going to give you the strength to do whatever He's called you to do. I guarantee that will happen. When you choose to live by faith, day after day after day, this is what God will do. He'll give you opportunities to see His power at work in your life and in your family and in your church. Well, listen, I'll just close by saying this. A life of faith is what God calls us to, every one of us, but it's not for the timid. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who want an easy life, a mindless life with no emotional investment in what you say you believe. But if you want a great life, if you want to see God do great things in your life and through your life and in your family and through your family and in your church and through your church, then a commitment to living with an all-in faith is what you need to embrace and you need to embrace it today. Let's pray.